TheYeshiva.net. It's a pleasure to have everybody this morning. Thank you for joining us. And of course, this morning, the class is dedicated to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and our brothers and sisters who have fled Ukraine and have become refugees overnight or are fleeing Ukraine. May Hashem protect all of them. And the Yehudim Haysa'iru Vesimcha Vesasa Vikar Kainti Alanu Vikarav Biyameinu Amein. Also dedicated, <coughs> the class is also dedicated with gratitude to Hashem for the marriage of our children, Mindy and Sam, on Tuesday, 28 Adir 15782, March 1, 2022. Mr. Beryl Jacobowitz and Lisa Jacobowitz, Dr. Yisrael and Chani Kaplan, Jacob Jacobo, previously Jacknovitz, proud parents, dedicated also the class by Mary Nissen and her grandson, Justin Termound, in gratitude. Thank you so, so much to the Bissol and Chani Kaplan and a big Mazel Tov and a Binyan Adeyad, with a lot of Nachas from the groom and the bride for many healthy, happy, and joyous years. And also thank you so, so much, <coughs> Mary and your grandson, for the dedication and the gratitude and the generosity. So last Monday, we began a mimer, a discourse by the Lubavitcher Rebbe that was said, Purim Tavshin Yud Zayin, Purim 1957, that began on the verse, that begins on the verse, Zachar es Hashirah Remember what Amalek, what the nation of Amalek, the tribe of Amalek has done to you. And we discussed at length the fascinating and very enigmatic Medrash in Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer about this very strange conversation between the Jewish people and Moshe Rabbeinu, where they challenge him about the mitzvah of remembering a malik, they feel that it does not make sense because there's another mitzvah to remember Shabbos, and Moshe speaks about two cups, two beverages, a goblet of kunditun and a goblet of vinegar. Kunditun is delicious, fragrant wine. Kunditun is a Talmudic term that represents the most delicious, the choiciest of wines. It's not just a cup of wine. It's a cup of, of extraordinary wine. And vinegar, we understand, is the antithesis of that. And Moshe says, he's talking about two cups, a cup of great, delicious wine and a cup of vinegar. They're both cups, but they're so different. The remembering of Amalek is a remembering for penalties. The remembering of Shabbos is a remembering for sanctity. And that's how he answers their question. And the Rebbe says, the question doesn't seem to make sense. And the answer doesn't seem to reply to the question. That was the summation of chapter one. You can go back and learn the details. And by the way, you have the source sheets always on theyeshiva.net, where you could follow it inside. Section, second paragraph began to deal with another subject. And that is, the Gemara says, in Tractate Megillah, page 7, that on Purim there's an obligation to become inebriated until you don't know the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Mardachai. And of course we can understand the connection with chapter 1 because Haman came from Amalek. And Darizal explains, the great Kabbalist Darizal explains in a section called Shar HaKavanas, that the idea is, literally, that a person should actually become inebriated to the point that they could say, blessed is Haman, not cursed is Mardachai, but blessed is Haman. And that's the idea, it's not just words. I'm so tipsy, or I'm so drunk that I don't know what I'm saying, so I say, blessed is Haman. I get confused. That's on a very superficial level. But Arizal says that within the klipa, within the shell, there's a spark of holiness that vivifies it and lights it up, but it's eclipsed. It needs to be excavated. When you say, blessed is Haman, what you want to do, Darizal says, you bring light to that spark. And that's why, he says, you can only say it after your shikr, without kavana, 
without premeditated deliberation. Because if it's done with deliberation, then you're going to bring the light to the klipois themselves, to the shells themselves. And the Rebbe explained what Darizal means is that it's not just don't know the difference between curses, Haman and Baruch, Mardachai. What would be the greatness in that? So you don't know, so you're confused. So, so go to sleep. <laughs> the idea is that we're extracting, we want to extract a spark that is somewhere buried in Haman. That's what the Gemara says in Meseches Gitin, that there were descendants of Haman who taught Torah publicly. They didn't only learn, they taught. This is the same concept. What's the Gemara trying to say? The Gemara is trying to say that there's something that comes out even of Haman. Because everything, everybody has a spark. But the only way I can identify it is Adelayada. Only if I'm in a state of Adelayada, which the Rebbe explains means, not just I drink, it's something much, much deeper and harder. I go out of my das. I transcend my understanding. I transcend my brain. I emancipate myself and ascend to a space, he says, that's higher than das, than my limited perception and knowledge, and generally of higher than perception of knowledge. Only then can you extract and sublimate Haman spark. But if you say Baruch Haman, if you say blessed is Haman, before you reach the state, oy, then the light could reach Haman himself, not just the holy spark buried inside of Haman. That was the summation of chapter 2. Now the question is, what does all this mean? So Siv Gimel... Section 3 begins the explanation. The Yuvon. Ah, what would be the problem if it went to Haman himself? Then we may actually be energizing the husk of Haman, the, the negativity, the evil dimension of Haman, as we will explain. So one has to be careful that the light goes to the spark that's very deep, deep inside of Haman, not... Haman himself, the exterior identity of Haman. And as we're going to see, this will be explained. <clears throat> First of all, what does this mean? Second of all, why do you need Adelayada? Third of all, how does this apply to everybody's life? Like everything, there's a concept here that's applicable to every person's life. So Gimbal, the Yuvon, this will be understood. Again, please open your source sheets. We're on page 154, Siv Gimbal of the Maimer. Zacher Tavshin Yud Zayin. If you're on chat, if you're on the Zoom, you see it on chat. There's a link, or on the yeshiva.net, you can also get a link. This will be understood based on what's explained in Drushe Chasidus, meaning in various discourses, various Maimarim, various expositions of Chasidus, Befiru Shakasov explaining that Pasik in Parshas Ve'era. Hashem tells Moshe, see, I have placed you, I have made you an Elekim to Paray. Literally, it means I have turned you into a ruler. Elekim is like a ruler, a, a master over Paray. Rashi, so Rashi explains, I have conferred upon you the power to be able to judge and to be able to strike and rule over Paray with makais, with plagues, and with Yisur, with agony. In other words, to distress Paray, to force him, to force his hands to emancipate the Hebrew slaves. That's what Hashem tells Moshe, look, I have made you an Elekim. Elekim doesn't only mean God. Elekim means a ruler, a master over Paray. Hashem gave a special power to Moshe to break the husk, the klipa, the, the shell of Paray, and to destroy him. So it's explained in various memorandum that Moshe himself was afraid of Parah. This is stated explicitly in the Zohar. My boy. There's a verse, there's a famous passage in the beginning of Parah's boy. Hashem tells Moshe, boy el Parah, come to Parah. And the Zohar asks a very simple question. He should have said, go to Pare, not come to Pare. If I am sending somebody on a mission to go to somebody and speak to him, 
communicate a message to him. So the term that's used in Hebrew is not come to Parah, go to Parah, lechel Parah. Come to Parah means what? I'm going and you come with me. Like I say, let's go, let's, let's, let's come with me to this person's house. But Hashem was not telling that to him. Hashem was telling him, go to Parah. I want you to go to Parah. So the Zoyar says, why does it say Bayal Parah? And the answer that the Zoyar gives is that Moshe was afraid to go. He didn't want to go. So if Hashem would have said, go to Parah, Moshe would have said, sorry, I'm not going. Hashem told him, come to Parah. What does it mean, come? I'm not sending you alone. I'm asking you to accompany me. <laughs> it's like you'll tell somebody, come with me to Parah. Let's go together to Parah. Come to Parah. In other words, you're coming to me because I'm going to be there. I'm going with you. Now the question is, why would Moshe be so scared of confronting Parah? Remember, this is the beginning of Parish's boy. There was already There were already seven plagues. Moshe has spoken to this man numerous times. Parshas Shmois and the Parshas Ve'er. Why suddenly now is Moshe Rabbeinu afraid to go to Par? So the Zoyer says, and the Rebbe quotes, Hashem was asking Moshe to go in to the great crocodile. There's an expression of Yecheskel, the, the Navi Yecheskel, that he compares Parah to the great uh, Tanin, Tanin is an alligator or crocodile in the Nile. In the Nile Delta, you have tremendous, tremendous, uh, tremendously large crocodiles and alligators. They're known as the Egyptian, the Egyptian uh, gators, the Egyptian crocodiles. It's called Tanin Hagadol, and it dwells, they live in the Nile, because the Nile was very attractive for many different sea creatures, small ones and large ones, fish and so forth. That's why the entire economy of Egypt came from the Nile, and uh, it's desert, there's no rain there. So they needed the Nile for irrigation, that's why they used to worship the Nile. So Para is an example of that large, powerful gator, crocodile or or alligator in the Nile. Kivan de Chamakuchabrichu de Dachil Hashem saw that Moshe is afraid. Amar kuchabrichu hinini alecha pari melech mitzrayim hatanem hagadla revit b'tochireyov. That's when Hashem says, and that's a prophecy in Yecheskel twenty nine. It's the haftorah of Parshas Vayera. I, God, I will come above you, Parai, the great crocodile that crouches in his river in the Nile. V'kuchabrichu itzterich lagacha bekrav. Hashem himself had to trigger the war against Parai. At this point, the Zayar says, other times Moshe met Parai outdoors, either at the, at the sea, at the delta, at the river, or in other places outdoors or out in the outer chambers of his palace. But this was the first time he had to go into Parai himself, into his personal and intimate sanctum, into his most private chamber. And Moshe was afraid to go there. So Hashem says, I'm coming with you. And I'm going to be the one fighting him. Boy, don't go to Parah. Come. So that's what Hashem tells Moshe. I have given you this special power to be a ruler for Parah and to be able to strike him with plagues. What does this mean? The power that the tzaddik the tzaddik here is the person who is an ambassador of light, of, of righteousness. Tzaddik means literally a righteous, a good person, a person of tzedakah, a person of justice and of charity. The power that the tzaddik can have to defeat the rishayim, to defeat the wickedness in the world, is only when nismala sa'asam. This is a gemara in Maseches Saita Daftes, as he says in 19 and many midrashim. Every rasha has the sa'ah. Sa'ah is a measurement. It's a certain volume. So after their sa'ah fills up, in other words, after their cup fills up, that's when they have the ability to be defeated because that's it. Their power is gone. Their power now is finished. But before their cup is filled, their sa'ah, their measurement is filled, when they're still in their full ferocious strength, 
On this, the Gemara says, the Gemara brings the view of Rabbi Yitzchak, If you see a Rasha, that the hour is playing to him, meaning if you see a Rasha and he's being very successful, don't provoke him. Don't provoke him. You have to lay low. Because a person at that time cannot defeat him. At such a time, it's Hashem's power himself to be able to defeat such a person. That's what the Gemara says, as he says in footnote 20, Brachas Dav Zayin and Megillah Davav. Tractate Brachas, page 7, Tractate Megillah, page 6. Quoting Rabbi Yitzchak, I believe, that if you see a Rasha, and the hour is playing to him, the time is smiling to him, meaning he's on top of the world. This is a power that God gave him at the moment. It's not going to last forever. <laughs> it's not going to last forever. But at this moment, don't provoke Altis Garabai. Don't. You have to. You have to be cautious. Why? Because this is the time that God gave him power. So the Rebbe says the kayak that tzaddikim have to defeat the Russia comes at a point when their cup is full. In other words, they're given a certain amount of power for a certain amount of time. And based on who they are at that particular time, but then there comes a time that the cup is full. In other words, their evil, their negativity, their toxicity reaches a point and then it's all over. Then they lose everything. They lose their power. When you see a ferocious and mighty Russia doing destructive work, it's not going to last forever. Now, it's very, very painful. It's very, very difficult to see it. But there comes a point that Nismala Sa'asam Chazal say, the measure is full, and then, and then, then they're lost, then they're finished. And before that, when they still have that power, when their evil has not reached a point that Hashem decided this is it, their evil has not reached a point, their toxicity has not reached a point where they vomit it all out and they vomit themselves all out and they destroy themselves, at that point you have to be cautious. The Gemara says this very interesting, Altis Garabah, you have to know not to provoke. Why? Even at Tzaddik, our sages are saying, can't defeat him. Only Hashem himself, who gave him the power, can defeat him. This is generally an observation that our sages make. And, and this itself comes from Torah. In other words, Torah itself is saying this to us. The Torah itself is saying you should understand that there's moments in life that evil, apparently, at least at the surface, and not only at the surface, in some genuine way, has the power that God gave it. It's not its own power. That's why Hashem can defeat it. But it's part of the process of history. On this, there's a postic that was said to Eiv, to Job. This is in Eiv, chapter 40. As you could see in footnote 21, he always has the references to everything. So if you ever want to look something up, Eiv, chapter 40, verses 9 through 12. Eiv, Perik Mem, verses Tess through Yudbez. So Hashem tells Eiv, this is already towards the end of the book. Eiv is, of course, a book that deals with the question of theodicy. Why do bad things happen to good people? So Hashem tells Eiv as follows. V'im, I'm going to read the Pesukim and then I'll translate. V'im z'roya ka'el loch uv'koyl kamoyu sarim adena go'in v'gavoya v'hoid v'hoder tilbosh Hafeitz evrei sapecha urei kol geya vahashpilehu rei kol geya hachnieu vahadoich rishoyim tachtom. Translation: Have you an arm like God? That's the beginning. Vim zroya ka'el loch zroya is an arm. Do you have an arm that is like God? Can you thunder with a voice like Hashem? 
Duck yourself now. I'm sorry, deck yourself, Ade. Cover yourself, but deck yourself with grandeur and with aloofness. Clothe yourself in glory and majesty. Scatter wide your raging anger. See every proud, arrogant person and bring him down. See every haughty, narcissistic human being and humble him. And bring them down where they stand. What does this mean? What is he telling Yev? What he's telling Yev, what this means is, There's moments that a person, not even a tzaddik, does not have the ability to bring down, to defeat the Russia, the wickedness. Only Hashem himself. And that's what he's saying. Do you have an arm of God? Do you have the voice of God? Only God who can garb himself in that level of, of grandeur and aloofness or appoint a person as his emissary to do it can then see every arrogant human being wreaking havoc and completely humble him. Now, the commandment to Moshe to go to Parai came before Parai's cup was full, before the wrath against Parai has reached its maximum limit, before Parai has caused so much destruction that his tenure was over. Until the tenth plague. Paroi's cup, so to speak, was not full. He still had power. Paroi had all of his strength. He was the superpower. He was the ruler of the world. So Moshe on his own was afraid to provoke him, to confront him. Hashem tells him, See, I have made you a ruler over Hashem tells Moshe, I'm giving you my arm, I'm giving you my koyach. You should be able to rule over him through plagues and through penalties and through paining him. To, to, to defeat him. And to obliterate him. Even when he is in his full strength and ferocious evil power. That's a special chiddush, a special novelty. Because as the Gemara says, when you see a Russia is being successful, don't provoke. Altisgar. There's going to be a point where his cup is going to be full with the toxicity and evil is going to reach a point that he's a goner. But until that point that he's gone, until that point that, he's, that, he's becomes, that he becomes emotionally vulnerable to obliteration, God tells Eoiv, only I could do it at that point. And that's why Moshe is scared because Moshe was not asked to go to Parai when the game was over. When the game was over, and the you know the big the 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 big shot, the rush is really hollow. It's a hollow blue, and you could puncture it. But he was asked to go to Pyre when he was still ruling the world. Pyre was the most powerful ruler at the time, when he was in his full taikif. The point didn't reach yet where Pyre would already be dethroned spiritually and therefore physically. So, and Moshe felt that Moshe was afraid. Moshe was afraid to go to that level. And Hashem told him, I'm giving you my arm. I'm not limited. I'm giving you my arm. The whole power that a power can get is also from Hashem. So I'm giving you my arm, and you can go. That's why he told him, hey, I want you to see this. I have made you an Elikim to power. I have made you a ruler. Even in his full might and strength, you can, uh, you can, you can win. You can win. You don't have to wait till that moment when he's going to prove to be completely vulnerable and weak. And he explains further, This will explain what it says in Gemara. At least one of the answers. This is Gemara Brachas, page 6, and Megillah, page 7. I'm sorry, Brachas, page 7, and Megillah, page 6. The Gemara has a contradiction there. There are two different Talmudic opinions. The first opinion is Rabbi Yochanan, in the name of Reb Shimon Bar Yechai. And he said 
you can always provoke a Russia. Never be afraid to confront wickedness and a wicked person in the most ferocious manner. You can always provoke a Russia. <laughs> and he brings a verse, he brings the Apostolic for Mishle. And the Gemara says, but Rabbi Yitzchak said, as we learned before, that you shouldn't provoke a Russia if he's successful. You shouldn't provoke. So the Gemara gives different answers. One is if it's personal, or one is if it's to protect the interests of God. That's one answer. Another answer is if you see him being successful, or you see him not being success- not so successful. And the third answer is very interesting. It depends what type of tzaddik you are. That's the last answer of the Gemara. There's a tzaddik who's not a complete tzaddik, and then there's a complete tzaddik. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says, if you see a Rosh who's being super successful, don't provoke him. That's only an incomplete tzaddik. But if it's a complete tzaddik, then you're, then, Rabbi Shimon Bayechai says, you're allowed to provoke Rishayim, even in this world. What's the difference? What does it mean to provoke a Russia anyway? What does that mean? What, <laughs> what does it mean to tease him? No, it means something much deeper. Of course, in life, our job is always to protect innocent people from destruction. That's our job. The Pasuk says, Never stand by idol, by the blood of your friend. The first and foremost job of the Jew is to create a world of goodness and kindness. You have to stand up to evil, to stand up to injustice, to stand up to corruption, to stand up to violence, to bloodshed, to abuse, to lies, to falsehood, whenever somebody sees it. That's the responsibility. A person, however, wants to be effective. A person has to be able to appreciate and be sensitive to the dynamics, because I don't want to be right, I want to be smart. Yeah, In the Hebrew there's an expression, right? very often people are right, but they're not smart. You don't want to only be right, you want to be effective. So the question is how to do it, when to do it. Now this is a very, very delicate balance. So the Gemara is struggling. When can the tzaddik provoke a Russia? What does it mean to provoke a Russia? What does it mean, his garus? So he says what it means is It's something much deeper than we imagine. It's to actually take from them the sparks of goodness when they're still in their power. When you take away from them, when you take out of them, their positive sparks slowly. So ultimately you extract all the goodness. Only the negativity remains. And then you could defeat them completely. Because the only thing that is really alive is Hashem. Hashem gives life to every force and every person and every power in the world. Even evil and even negativity, has buried and contained within it, consciously or subconsciously, some holiness, some godliness. When you take out the sparks of godliness and only only the negativity remains, then it's ultimately lifeless. It's like a corpse. Then you can beat a dead horse. (laughs) What's the expression, right? A dead horse you can beat because it's dead, it's not going to fight you. The power of the Russia to fight is because even the worst of Ra has some spark of godliness there. It's corrupted, it's distorted, it's eclipsed, it's chtichanas and avela, but it's there. But the moment you extract all the sparks of goodness, and now only the Ra remains, so what happens? Now the tzaddik can defeat him. So the Rebbe says when the Gemara talks about provoking the Rosh, it doesn't just mean standing in front of him and saying, tease, hey, hey, I can tease you. It's much deeper. It's actually going and extracting the sparks of goodness from that person, from that Russia. It's taking it all away, taking it out. And hence, the Gemara is teaching us, in this there's a fundamental difference between the complete tzaddik and the incomplete tzaddik. What does this mean? 
Mashenkin Sadak Shane Gramayeshla Ezah is a dime of Godematsoy, Vole Nepacharala Tov Mamish Kimavur Betanya. The explanation is what's the difference between a Tzadik Gomer and a Tzadik Shane Gomer? There's two types of Tzadik. There's what's called a wholesome Tzadik and a non wholesome Tzadik. So the Tanya in chapter 10, the Bala Tanya, the Alter Rebbe Rabbi Shnei of Leadi explains as follows. A Tzadik Gomer means it's all about what's happening inside of us. The world on the outside is a reaction to the world on the inside. The Tzadik Gomer is somebody that his own ra, his own negativity, his own brokenness, his own toxicity has been completely transformed. That's what makes him a Tzadik Gomer. Tzadik Gomer in Tanya doesn't only mean he's a good guy. It's a very, very deep place of consciousness where all of the parts of the self are now completely unified and integrated. There is a seamless flow in the Tzadik Gomer between all parts of self, the divine self, the rational self, the animal self, the biological self. If you want to use neuroscientific language, there's a seamless flow between the prefrontal lobes, the limbic brain, the amygdala, and the divine consciousness. They all work seamlessly in the most unified and integrated way so that my amygdala, my limbic, my prefrontal lobes are all doing their own function based on what God made them to do, without overreacting and without hijacking any other part of the person's life, depriving us of our ability to live at every moment with fullness, with absolute meaning. But this is a great, great avoida that the Tzadik Gomer accomplishes to transform all of the Ra inside of him to goodness. A Tzadik She'ene Gomer, an incomplete Tzadik, is also called a Tzadik also has full control of his life, or her life. But as the Tanya says, there's still some connection with, with what's called B'godim Hatsayim. B'godim Hatsayim means clothes of, of excrement, or some filth. In other words, there's still some stuckness going on in the body, in the mind of this person. Yeah, And it may not necessarily be conscious. He's still holding on to some stuff. Begadim Hatsaya means literally filthy clothes. And we call them filthy clothes because like clothes, they don't constitute the person's essence. Clothes are something I wear. It's not my essence. But Begadim Hatsaya means there's still some, some dirt in my clothes. I'm still holding on to it. And as long as I'm holding on to it, I don't allow complete transformation. Complete transformation can only happen when I let go. When, when I'm still holding on, when I still feel dependent on some clothes that are dirty, I can't allow all the ra inside of me to be transformed. Now, that's a very, very intense idea. What it means is that we have to allow for things to be transformed in our lives. And the way we allow for things to be transformed in our life is when we let go. When I feel that I have to control everything and I feel dependent, I feel like a loser, I feel like a, it's like the epitome of addiction where I, I become dependent and the reason I become dependent on these things is because I don't, I'm not completely aligned with infinity. So now I need you and I need this to, 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 to fill the void. And these are things that fill the void in, th- in ways that are not really going to fill it. Right? So I'm still holding on to stuff. The Tzadik Gomer let go. So everything can be transformed. The Tzadik She'ene Gomer still didn't let go completely. He says, Eza Achiza, there's something he's still holding on. Or she's still holding on to some clothes that are, that are alien to me. So the Ra can't be completely, completely transformed. So it's Sadiq who's incomplete. Amru, Chazal say, our sages say, If you see that he's successful, don't provoke him. The Kivan Sharasha boiloy nepach letoiv mamash. Because since inside me, since inside him, his own negativity has not been completely transformed to goodness because he's still holding on to some of the unclean garments. So therefore, certain things are dangerous for him. For him to go into the Russia and take out the sparks 
could be a hazard. What may happen is not only will he not be able to extract the sparks, but furthermore, he could be lured in and he himself can fall. Only the complete tzaddik, that the ra inside of him or her has been metamorphosized, he can go anywhere and he can extract the positive sparks even in the Russia during the time that he's successful. What the Rebbe is saying here is a very, very profound idea in life. My relationship with other people always begins with my relationship with myself. My relationship with the world outside of me always begins with relationship with myself. In other words, we often talk about how other people become a major obstacle in our lives, how other people become a major source of agony or grief in our life. Now, objectively, that may seem very true. But what he's telling us here is, I have to go into myself and see what is happening inside of me. The only way you can trigger me, the only way you can bring me down is if I am stuck somewhere. And that's what the Gemara is telling us, and the Rebbe is explaining so profoundly. When we talk about extracting sparks of goodness in every situation, even in that situation, which seems to be completely alien, there's always a condition. And the condition is what places can you go into? Some places are too triggering in today's terminology. I'm just using my own words. Some places, some people are too triggering for me to be able to extract the sparks. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to be lured into it and I'm going to fall. Not only will I not be able to elevate the sparks of holiness, but furthermore, I will be schlepped down. Why? Because I am still stuck. I'm not in a position to be able to be fully, fully present without fear. I cannot be fully present to be able to take out all the good. I just can't. And then it's actually dangerous. I have to have my boundaries because this person or this situation, if I go there because I want to take out the sparks of good, what may happen is I may become overwhelmed. And instead of me elevating them, they will just schlep me down. So in each person's life, we have this distinction between how well did you work through your own stuff? This is so important because we often respond to the other when we're really supposed to respond to ourselves. So when the Gemara says, do not provoke a Russia when he's successful, but Rashbi says, yes, provoke him. The Gemara says, there's a contradiction. Depends where you are. Are you a tzaddik gomer or a tzaddik shayne gomer? What does this mean? Depends what's stuck inside of me. What's stuck inside of you? Provoking here doesn't just mean teasing. Provoking means having the ability to go into that space and extract the goodness. And when you extract the goodness, you leave the rasha hollow, empty. And ultimately, when there's only negativity somewhere, nothing can survive. So taking out the sparks is actually the way to defeat. Because all Ra feeds off Toiv. All negativity feeds off goodness. This is a theme that's explained in many Svarim of Kabbalah and Machshava. The works, for example, of the Ramchal, Rabbeinu Moshe Chaim Lutzato, the famous Ramchal, who has many famous works in Jewish Machshava, Hashkafa, Kabbalah, discusses this at length. But in many Svarim, all Ra, is being fueled by toif. It's getting some oxygen of toif, some oxygen of goodness. But this is a very, very sensitive topic because the ra is powerful. The toif is really fueling it, but the toif, the goodness, is, is hidden. Now I want to come and extract all the good, and what's left is only the ra, and it can survive, and that's the way of defeating him. The question is, can I really go there? So he says, the person who's worked out, they're not holding on to any toxicity anymore. They're not holding on to the unclean garments. Then they can go to that place and they can find the goodness and extract the goodness and then the Russia falls. But a person who's not, it could be a sakon, it could be a dangerous. Not only don't I, am not successful in extracting the sparks, I myself may be defeated. This is an, this is, this was the introduction to start explaining the concept of Adelayada. 
the concept of Adelayadan, that the only way I could say blessed is Haman, is if I go to a place of Adelayadan, as we will see soon in the next class. But I want to say, this also applies to many other situations. Like everything that we learn, there's the concept, the way it's expressed here, but the concept applies to many different situations. So for example, let's say you're dealing with somebody who's difficult in your life. When it says here Russia, you know, let's not talk about it only in absolute terms. There's a Russia, there's a wicked, evil monster. That too. But Russia here is somebody who's detached from their source. They're detached from their divine source. And I'm dealing with this person. And it's a very difficult challenge. It's a difficult relationship. There is goodness that I want to extract. And when you extract the goodness, the Ra is gone. Because the Ra won't be able to survive anymore. But could I do it? And the question is, do I know how to ignore shells and see what is beneath the shell? And the only way I know that is if I do that with myself. If I know in my own life to differentiate between my clip and my nitzutz, then I could do it with other people. If I cannot do it in my own life, there's no way I'll be able to do it with you. That's why you'll see, for example, parents who have children who are struggling. And their reaction is completely different. What does it depend on? It doesn't depend on the child. It depends on the parent. You'll see patients that come to certain therapists, and certain therapists are amazingly successful with them. Others are colossal failures. What does it depend on? It doesn't depend on the patient. It depends on the state of consciousness of the therapist. The same is true with rabbis and mashpiyim and rosh Shivas and mashgichim and rebbes and mothers and fathers and teachers and mechanchos and mechanchim. It doesn't always depend on the person that's coming to me. It depends on my own state of mind. Do I have the ability to be able to see through the shell and see what's inside? And the only way I know the answer to that question is based on what I do with my own life? Do I have the ability to see through my own klipa, my own shell, and see what's inside of me? If I cannot do that with inside of, within, if I cannot do that inside of myself, there's no way I could do that for you. But that's what people need most. What people need most is somebody to believe in their kedusha, to believe in their holiness, to see it even when they themselves don't see it. Believe in me even when I don't believe in myself. I have so many shells and so many layers and so many husks and so many blockages and so many things that are alienating me from me, alienating my external me from my real me. So now when I'm provoking you and I'm teasing you and I'm doing everything to get you away from me, Will you have the ability to be able to say, I'm not going anywhere. I see the goodness and I'm not going to step away and I'm not going to flee the scene and I'm not going to run away. I'm going to see your own struggle. I'm going to understand your own trauma. I'm going to see the conflict inside of you and I'm going to be determined to extract your goodness even when you are denying it. I can only react that way if there's a wholesomeness inside of me, if I worked through my own stuff, because if I didn't work through my own stuff, you know what's going to happen? The moment your klipa triggers my klipa, I'm lost, I'm gone. Not only won't I won't be able to help you, I will now be completely mishuga. <laughs> I will be completely lost in the process. I'm going to lose it. Only when I have worked out my stuff, only when I know what I'm holding on to and I let go. Only when I can identify within myself what's my klipa, what's my not klipa. Only when I see my own pneumias and I work through my own toxicity can I then be fully present in your life without blinking, without running, without fleeing from the scene. Because your klipa won't trigger my klipa. You know why? Because I have made peace with myself. 
because somehow I worked on myself to the point that at least I'm trying to be aligned with my own panimius. So my shell will not be a blockage. My shell will not block my light reaching your light. But if my shells are not worked through, so then my light won't be able to reach your light because my shells are going to block them. My klipa is going to block them. And your klipa might trigger it so deeply that I myself will now turn out in a worse place. I will end up in a worse place than I was originally. So this is just one way of applying this to our lives, that our relationships with other people has so much to do with how much we worked out within ourselves. When I come from a place of wholeness, which he calls your tzaddik gomer, everything is different. When I come from a place of brokenness, tzaddik she'ene gomer, everything is different. So this is the beginning of the explanation of what we're going to come to the next time about the concept of what Adela means, that only then can, can you say, blessed is Haman. What does it mean in life to go into a place of Adela where I could say on Purim, blessed is Haman. As Darizal says, you can only do this when you're drunk, which the Rebbe explained doesn't only mean an alcoholic beverage. It means a different experience where the person goes beyond Das. As we will see in the next year, which we're going to have Be'ezir Hashem on Monday morning, 7.30. We're going to continue with Se'iv Dalat. In the meantime, I'm going to ask you to review what we learned in both of the classes, from chapter 1 through chapter 3. And then we're going to continue Be'ezir Hashem Monday, Se'iv Dalat. See you then, 7.30. And I'm going to wish you now a beautiful Shabbos and a good Chaydesh. May this month bring, for all good people in the world and for all the Jewish people, only blessings and joy and health and good news, and a redemptiveness, and emancipation, especially for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, and for our brothers and sisters everywhere, and for good people everywhere. May it be a month that we should be able to experience full joy and full redemption. A good Shabbos, and a good Chaydesh, a Freilich and Chaydesh, to everyone, the month of transformation, the month of Purim, the month of Enapechu, when bleak situations were transformed into great situations. You're asking a good question. You're saying, he's quoting here from the Tanya about a tzaddik gomor. I'm not a tzaddik gomor. I'm not even a tzaddik sheine gomor. <laughs> even to be a Bedini is not so simple. So, so, so what's the idea? When we speak about all of these states of consciousness, we could speak about them in absolute terms and then say it has nothing to do with me. But that's not the case. Every person has an element in their life where you're a tzaddik. Every person has an element in their life where they're a tzaddik or where you're a tzaddik sheinigam, or where you're a benini. Every person. So all of these great figures and terms on some micro level apply to each and every one of us. Maybe not all the time, maybe not in all situations, maybe it's not consistent <laughs> throughout my entire life. But when we speak about all these personalities, they're not just remote personalities that exist in some sacred text that will never apply to me. That's not the way of learning Yiddishkeit and of learning Torah. The way of learning it is understanding there's a state of consciousness that applies to every single person. Now again, it may not always apply to me in every situation, but the tzaddik exists in me and the benini exists in me, and sometimes the rasha exists in me. And therefore... Even if I haven't attained that full experience of this state of consciousness 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, and I need to work on myself, but the reality of it, the concept of it, the energy of it, is something that can inspire me and help me grow wherever I am and experience some of these truths relative to where I am in life. And that's why we're being taught these ideas. If these ideas were just completely irrelevant to us, and they're just practiced by a few people in a generation, so fine, let them know about it. The reason the reason we are taught this is because it applies to us. And that's why I was giving an example here. The way you relate to your children, the way you relate to other people, the way you relate to difficult situations... When I have the courage to be able to look into myself and see what I'm holding on to, and I can let go of that, that is a moment of a tzaddik in me. It, 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 it's a glimmer of it. And that could be very, very redeeming.
So we have to be very careful when we're talking about, for example, the war of Russia against, the, against Ukraine, right? And the, the president of Russia, who has, uh, who has displayed uh, such nasty and, and evil behavior over the last week since he unleashed uh, his fury, his military fury against Ukraine. And, uh, you know, what Putin did was, as I mentioned in my class on Tuesday, he's a person who helped build Russia and helped the Jews in Russia tremendously. And yet, tragically, for himself, he's going to go down in history as a monster. Years and years and years of, 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 of tremendous achievements on behalf of the Jewish people in Russia, on behalf of Russia, are now being wiped away. He's going to go down into history as a monster. And it didn't begin today. It just came out today. It began many years ago. So it's very important never ever to whitewash or cover up evil by just, you know, dismissing it as everything has good in it. Haman wanted to destroy every single Jew. Amalek wanted to destroy every single Jew. And when you're talking about Haman, who wants to destroy every single Jew, we have to identify very, very powerfully the absolute evil that's there. And that's non-negotiable. That's a given. That's before this mimer. And the same is true when somebody declares war on a neighboring country and it's claiming so many, so many lives. And there's no reason for it. It's not like the person was in danger. It's not like the person's country was in danger. The person literally went in to a neighboring country, and now there's more than a million refugees. I spoke to quite a few people who have been in Ukraine during the original siege, hearing the bombs, hearing the fighting, hearing the shooting, protecting themselves and their children in, in bunkers and in metro stations, and in uh, <coughs> excuse me, in their basements, in their shelters, and then on the run, sometimes for days, harrowing journeys to be able to get to the border. And, uh, and and flee Ukraine. So we're dealing with a very, very serious, very, very, very serious situation. And we always have to remember how difficult it is and how challenging it is and how terribly, terribly devastating it is. This Mimer is taking it one step deeper and telling us <clears throat> that even, even in very, very difficult and challenging situations, and even when you're dealing with a Haman, there's something there. There's some spark that we have to take out. Mm. There's some spark that I have to take out. And the question is, how do you take the spark out? Right. And the question, the big question today is, what do you do with this Putin? Because the free world has proven to be pretty incompetent. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.